In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Like we spoke last week during this period, which is the last few Sundays uh, of the Coptic year, we speak about the end of the world. Just as the Coptic year is ending, so also we speak about the end of the world. And here we read uh, the passage from Matthew chapter 24, where Christ is speaking about all of these signs that are to come so that the disciples would be aware and know when the end of the world is coming. The disciples asked Christ, they said, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And we all are very curious and interested to see the signs and to know when is it going to be the end. And sometimes this is, uh, we become even obsessed with trying to find signs and seeing if it is the end or not. And one of the major reasons that maybe we look to the end is because we want to have comfort and peace, maybe from the struggles and the tribulations of this life. But when we hear actually the words of Christ speaking about the end, we see that the struggles and the trials and the sufferings are actually going to get a lot worse before they get better. And so if we look at the things that he spoke about in this chapter, we can kind of categorize them into four different points. One of them is threats that he's saying are things that are going to happen. Warnings that he's giving to the believers to be aware of. Instructions that he's telling the believers to do. And comforts to comfort their heart about what is to come. So we're going to speak briefly about each of these four things that Christ said is going to happen uh, at the end times. The first is the threats. Um, he says that there's going to be a war against the truth. He says in verse 24, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. These false Christs and false prophets are coming to, to malign the truth and to twist the truth and to convince people that what they are saying is true so that people will follow after them and abandon the real truth. And we see this attack on the truth happening around us every day and in the media every day, that the idea of truth is no longer important. It's all about feelings. It's all about what I feel to be true. This kind of sense of whatever feels good to me is what I will practice, what I will do, what is considered right, and no one can accuse me, no one can disagree with me, no one can tell me that what I'm doing or thinking is wrong, because for me, this is truth. For me, this is what I want to do and what I want to practice. The idea of right and wrong has been so twisted of everything that we used to say in society was wrong and now it is right and the things that used to be right are now actually wrong everything has been flipped it's, again it's a war against the truth there's a rejection of authority any authority that God has placed simply because it is a source of authority people fight against it and they find reasons to disobey and feel justified in doing so by giving different and various excuses so this war against the truth is ongoing and the more that we um, as believers and really as society as a whole, the more that we abandon studying and researching and, and reading and, and, and really finding out the answers for ourselves, the more we will easily be deceived because people have stopped trying to find the answers on their own. We, we, we maybe we just listen to whatever we are told. We are listening to the news. We're listening to YouTube. We're listening to whoever is the loudest voice in the room, the one who gets the most attention, the one who is the most popular, the one who is the, the, the one who, 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 who kind of pushes his agenda the hardest. This is the one who will be heard. And unless we are smart and careful and alert, we might find ourselves falling into the trap of believing whatever happens to me, the philosophy of the day, and without realizing or, or trying to determine or discern whether this is actually true or not. So we have to be very careful to discern the truth. Whenever I hear something, I have to evaluate it. I have to think, is this, is this truly correct? Is this what God is saying? Is this right or not? 
The second uh, threat that Christ speaks about that will happen at the end is the loss of peace. In verse 7, he says, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And we certainly see that these things are happening, but not just this, but we see that, that there are people that promote fear and that want to instill panic in people and stress in people's minds. And, and again, if we go to the news, the news make money when people watch, and people will watch the more afraid that they are. The more afraid and stressed and panicked people are, the more they're going to want to watch and understand. And, and the news sometimes paints the picture of the world as being destruction and doomsday every single day. Every event is doomsday. Every event is destruction. And the focus so much is on the negative things that are happening in the world. And we forget sometimes that there's positive things too. There's goodness still in the world. There's kindness and compassion still in the world. There's successes in the world. There's, there's times where people actually like, uh, act as human beings and care for one another and show kindness and morality and you know sometimes the the news media they they want to make it seem like everybody in the world has accepted sin as being the norm everybody in the world has accept, accepted abortion as being the norm everyone in the world has accepted homosexuality as being good everyone in the world has accepted whatever sin as being right but when we actually look at the real world and we look at maybe people that we know whether christian or even non-christian we find that no not everyone has accepted not everyone you know, Elijah the prophet, when he was kind of in a period of depression in his life, he thought that he was the only one left that believed in God. He was the only one who believed in God and no one else. Everyone else had turned aside. Everyone else had been, uh, you know, fallen away and, the, and everyone was following false gods like Baal. And he was the only one. And God reminded him and he said, no, there are still thousands that do not follow Baal. There are thousands that still worship me. Maybe you don't know what they are or who they are. But I know them, and I know them by name. So we shouldn't feel in this period at the end that we're losing our peace or feeling like God is losing somehow. There are those who are believers, and there are those who are righteous, and there are those who you know, have the right mindset and the right moral compass. And yet the media and the world want to make it seem like this is not the case. So we should always be aware that and, 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 and have faith in God, that God is preserving his people and he is bringing us closer to him. The third threat he speaks about in this chapter is the war against the believers. It says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And this war against the believers is a fourfold war. The first is the physical. We know in many places around the world there is the physical persecutions of Christians where they are killed, when they are martyred, and we see this throughout the world. Perhaps this is not the major uh, form of persecution, this physical persecution that we experience here, but we definitely see it all throughout the history of the church. We read about it in the Synexarian every day, and we see it around the world. The first is the physical. The second war, which is you know far stronger, at least for us here, is the mental war. It's the war of the mind. It's the war to corrupt the mind. It's the war to bring people away from God by convincing them that the path that they are walking is fruitless, is futile, it's worthless, it's mistaken, there is, there is no God. And even if there is a God, what he's asking you to do is very different from what you're actually doing. This temptation that we are pressured with all around from every side to abandon the faith, to look at life in a, in a different way, to abandon the, the vision of God before us, um, uh, on a regular basis to stop coming to church because it's unnecessary because God is actually completely different this is not God or maybe there are thousands of gods or everybody has their own God and everybody worships their own God this kind of mental 
war against the mind is very, very severe, and many people are led astray because the world has taken them, he's taken their mind, so that they do not think, and they are not aware, and they are deceived. The third war is the moral war, the war of what is right and what is wrong. You know, who, who defines righteousness? Who defines ethics? Who defines morality? Is it God or is it the world? Is it mankind or is it God? Who do we follow? Do we follow the rules that are set by man of what they, they have determined to be right and wrong? Or do we follow the rules that God has set? Again, this is a war because the more that we follow God, the more the world attacks us. The more we follow God, the more we are diminished, the more we are, we are taught that we are bigots and haters and, and, and prejudice and we have no love in our heart, even though we are supposed to be the religion of love and with the most love. And yet the way that we love oftentimes to the world does not look like love. I cannot promote sin and call it love, right? This is actually, God does not do this. God does not show this kind of love. We are called to love as God loves. And the way that God loves is not to love sin, we can love a person, we can love a person who is sinning, but we do not love sin itself or declare that the actions of sin is righteousness. And then the last war is the spiritual war. The war to forget the spirit, the war to only focus on the flesh, to only focus on the physical life, to forget that there is a heaven, to forget that there are angels, to forget that, that the spirits are around us, that the spiritual reality is, is a true reality and even more real than the reality that maybe we experience on a regular basis, day to day, that our senses tell us. If our, if our spiritual senses are not keen and strong and we don't build them up and we don't exercise them, then we will not experience the spiritual world. We will only experience the physical one. If a person doesn't use their eyes, their eyes will stop working and they will not see. If a person doesn't use whatever physical sense that they have, it will diminish, it will, it will atrophy, and we will no longer be able to use it. Same with the spiritual senses. If we don't use our spiritual senses, we will not sense the spiritual. We will not experience the spiritual. And so we will, again, this, this other war will, will win out against us, that we are being, being kind of pigeonholed into, even though we are kingdom uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we completely forget this and we consider ourselves only citizens of the world. This is the third war against the believers. Uh, uh, the, the third threat, um, which is the war against the believers. The fourth uh, threat that Christ speaks about is the spirit of confusion. He says in Matthew chapter 24, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. During this period of time at the end, Christ indicates that it will be a time of confusion. No one is going to know what direction to go. No one is going to know what action to take or what decisions to make. There's going to be unprecedented events that happen at the end that are going to be beyond anything that have happened before, where people will not know what to do. We have unfortunately become so complacent with the systems of society and the processes of society that we have created, and we feel so comfortable with them, and we believe that these systems will never fail us and that we will always be able to lean on them and use them and utilize them. We, we live in a society where most of us have never actually seen what real war is. We've never seen the sacrifices that people who are truly in war make. Maybe if we have relatives that lived during the time of the Second World War, we can ask them what was life like back then. I remember my grandmother was talking to me one time about how they didn't have all these different kinds of food. Uh, back in Egypt during the time of the war because there was nobody bringing it to the country and at the time I was thinking I could not have imagined to live in such a time where things were not so readily available or maybe during the time maybe we can think of Hurricane Harvey as being the closest that maybe we have experienced in our life of what it was like to have chaos 
And yet the kind of chaos that Christ is speaking about here is magnitudes and magnitudes harder than that type of chaos or that type of event. So here the spirit of confusion. Everyone is, is not going to know what to rely on or what direction to go. The fifth threat he speaks about is the abounding of lawlessness. In Matthew 24, 12, it says, And because lawlessness, lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Right? This lawlessness is a state of tolerating, desiring, living, and even promoting immorality. This is lawlessness, that we desire lawlessness, that we desire to live contrary to the commandments of God. And today's war, uh, today's world, we see this very clearly. There, there is lawlessness. There is no desire for holiness. There is no desire for righteousness. There is only a desire for sin, for pleasure, for sensuality, for, for uh, you know, indulging the self and giving the self everything that it wants. This is lawlessness. And we see that this has not just become a weakness that we fight against. This has become a target and a goal and, and something we desire and something that the world wants. We have to be aware of this. This lawlessness is one of the signs of the end. So these are the threats, war against the truth, loss of peace, war against the believers, spirit of confusion, and abounding lawlessness. The next category of things he spoke about in this chapter are warnings. And we're going to speak about two of the warnings. The first is, it says, do not be deceived. It says, take heed that, you, that no one deceives you, in verse 4. This was the focus last week, in the sermon last week, when we said about deception. So I'm not going to focus a lot on it, but I have to realize that it is my responsibility to not be deceived. It is my, I can't, I can't rely on anyone else to protect me from deception. I have to be knowledgeable. I have to be disciplined. I have to pay attention. I have to not be just led wherever people are trying to lead me, but to have an alert mind and ask the question, is this right or not? Is this a direction that I should go or not? The second warning he gives in verse 6 is he says, do not be troubled. He says, see that you are not troubled, for all these things come to pass. This is a warning because why the more that we are troubled, the more we will forget who is in control. The more we are troubled, the more we will begin to doubt that God is actually going to save us, that God will deliver us, that God is protecting us. Because as we begin to see chaos, as we begin to see lawlessness, as we begin to see all these things, maybe even today when we open the news and we start reading and watching about all the stuff that's happening in the world, we have this sense of being troubled and disturbed. And we ask ourselves, where is the world going? And where has it already gone? And how much worse is this going to get? And what's going to happen to us? And, and, and you know, the sense of victimization or the sense of kind of um, helplessness and loneliness and saying, who is left, just like Elijah the prophet, who is left that worships God? Are we the only people that are left that worship God rightly? And again, the answer is no. God is protecting the church and God is protecting us. And so we should not be depending on ourselves to get through this difficult time, this time of the end that Christ is speaking about, but we should rely on God only and not to be deceived and not to be troubled by all of these things that are happening in the world. The third category uh, of things he spoke about in this chapter is instructions. He said to the people, pray. He says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Prayer is what's going to keep us from being troubled. The more we speak with God, the more we give our concerns to God, the more that we ask Him to give us faith, to trust and to believe that even though all these things are happening around us, but that God will deliver us, this is what we need to pray. And He's telling us this is a time of, of intense prayer. This is a time for the church to lift up our hands and ask God for His mercy to protect us from these troubling things that are going to come. 
He also says to be patient in verse 13. He says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. He who endures to the end shall be saved. And this is why it is so important to have a strong faith and to believe to the end. Many people will fall away because even though they had faith to begin, but the faith was not enough to bring them through all of these troubles. When they begin to see these unprecedented events that are going to happen at the end, he's saying many of even of the elect are going to fall. Many of them are going to be are going to perish because they are not going to believe to the end. They will not endure to the end. And either they will be deceived and they will fall away or they will be you know fall into the spirit of confusion, the war against them, the attack against the truth. In what way they're in one way or the other they will be deceived. Here Christ is saying be patient and wait, endure to the end because regardless of how bad it looks, in the end God is still the one in control and he is the one who's going to save the church. The last category of things he mentions is things that are for the comfort of the believers. In Matthew 24, 22, he says, Unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Meaning what? This is not going to last forever. This will be for a season and for a time. And God will not allow it to overcome the church. And again, as long as we wait patiently for him to give us his, his deliverance, then we will be successful in the end. These days will be short. He, is, he, he does not say that they are going to last forever. And, and the more we are aware of his words, and why is it that Christ actually spoke all these words to us? So that we'll be knowing what to expect. We'll be knowing. For instance, when he said, when someone comes in my name and says that I am the Christ, he says, don't believe him because it is a lie. So immediately when any, anyone in the world says that he is the Christ, the first thing that should come to our mind is no, Christ said no. People will come, but this is not true. Christ said, no one is going to know the day and the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. All right, so if we know this, that means anytime anyone is predicting the end of the world, we immediately know that this is a false prophet. This is someone who is not telling us the truth. In order for us to successfully navigate through all of the you know, false information and deception in the world, we have to be intimately aware of the word of God. And here Christ is telling us the days will be short to give us comfort. And then finally he says what that he will come to deliver us, which is maybe the, the moment that we are all waiting for in the end. In verse 31, he says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And this is the image we keep in our mind, that after all of the struggles and the trials are done, that we look forward to seeing him coming on the clouds with his angels, with the sound of a trumpet, gathering us together. So God here is telling us from the beginning to the, to the end, what is it that we should expect at, the, expect at the end times? So we shouldn't be sleeping when this happens. We shouldn't be... Um, you know, distracted when this happens. We shouldn't be consumed with the world when this happens. We should be alert and watchful and awake so that when these things begin to happen, we are not falling into deception, but we are, we are um, uh, you know, aware and educated and not ignorant of everything that Christ said is going to happen to us. And God willing, he will preserve the church and not allow the gates of Hades to prevail against it. And he will not allow any of us to fall into deception according to his will if we seek him and cling to him. So may God protect us from these last days as we again are finishing this Coptic year and look forward to a new year in joy and gladness. And glory be to God forever. Amen.